Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with an incredible, incredible individual, incredible professional, incredible vet of the real estate space, the financial space, and leadership space in Ivy Zellman today. You are in for a treat. I was blessed and grateful to have the opportunity to meet Ivy recently. Uh, we actually had an intro call uh, preparing for this potential podcast recording, and I have to tell you that I was blown away, and um, she is an absolute wealth of wisdom in terms of the real estate industry, in terms of housing markets, uh, in terms of really her depth of experience through Wall Street and so many different vantage points. So I know that you are really going to enjoy this conversation. I know you're going to learn a lot. So I want to encourage you to get your notepad out, get your note app out, whatever, whatever you need to distill some massive wisdom today, because it's all about distilling that down and applying it. But it's also about enjoying this because this is going to be an amazing journey. We're going to learn a lot from Ivy's story and from her expertise. So I just uh, I'm super excited about this. And I want to ask you the question that I always ask, are you ready to take it to another level? Because I have no doubt today, we're going to be doing that. And I want to welcome you back to the show where we sit down for mind expanding conversations with influential authorities in real estate, as well as top experts in other industries and disciplines. Elevate podcast is for leaders, entrepreneurs, real estate investors who have a burning desire to be extraordinary or for the extraordinary. It is our mission to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. We will distill the mindset, habits, routines, systems, tools, strategies, and so much more from those who are elevating to a life without limits so that you can do the same or even more for yourself. Of course, this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through personal growth, the real estate investing, other ventures, most importantly, and ultimately in their lives. If you are enjoying this show, please subscribe and uh, give us a rating, a review. We are always grateful for the reviews. And let me tell you, our team reads every single one. And I have a great example of one from a great name, by the way, Bobo Dancing Machine 13. I love that. He says, or she says, this is some of the highest level discussions you can hear. If you like Tim Ferriss, you're definitely going to love Elevate. Tyler has open conversations with his top tier guests and drive homes what success and fulfillment look like from many perspectives. If you are into real estate or personal development, it's icing on the cake. So thank you for that amazing review. And if you have 15 to 30 seconds, go over there to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to Elevate and leave us a review. It really helps us and it warms my heart from the bottom uh, of my heart. And uh, we're working really hard on this and we are looking to bring you more and better guests now this year and ongoing because we are not stopping. We're not satisfied. We're happy. We're excited. We're fulfilled. Uh, but we want to provide more. We want to provide more greatness to you. And so the way for you to do that is to not only subscribe, give us a rating or review, but it's also to pass this along, share this with a friend. You know, we give this to you 100% for free. And all we ask is that you pay the fee. And the fee is to share this with someone that you care about, someone that would value this discussion or this podcast, uh, you know, in general. What, what, who do you know 
that would really, really benefit from listening to Elevate Podcast, go ahead and send them a text message right now. Hey, I love this podcast, and I think you should take a listen. Let me know your thoughts, and here's my distinctions. Here are the things that I've learned. Here are the things that I have applied to my life. Uh, because if you can do that, we would be extremely grateful for that. You know, referrals are are the best compliment and anything you can do to share this podcast is something that we take very seriously and we take, you know, as uh, really the ultimate compliment and we appreciate that very much. And uh, I want to invite you to do a few things as well. Check out the Facebook community page, Elevate Podcast Community. Also check out elevatepod.com, which is where all of our resources are. Um, you know, all the show notes, all the links, all the suggestions, all the distinctions, they're all there, elevatepod.com. We've got a ton of resources on that website. And also, I want to invite you to check out elevatecoachingacademy.com because Elevate High Performance Coaching Academy is official and we are in the thick of our first eight-week program and it is unreal. It's amazing. We are impacting people all over the United States of America. And in fact, my, my cohort, my partner on this is outside of the United States of America in Canada, Trevor McGregor. So Trevor and I are blessed and grateful to be able to bring Elevate High Performance Academy to those who have a desire for the extraordinary. If you want to go deeper, if you want to elevate your game, if you want to make more money, if you want to have more time freedom, then I highly encourage you to go to elevatecoachingacademy.com. We have a free masterclass for you to just go check that out and go learn and get the massive value that's available to you for free over at elevatecoachingacademy.com. And of course, at the end of that, you'll learn more about what our program is all about. You know, our next eight week program starts March 1st, 2021. And let me tell you, it's about turning decades into days. It's about surrounding yourself with other like-minded, I call them gladiators, right? Gladiators or warriors, people who are looking to create uncommon results, people who are looking to, you know, step out of the ordinary. They're, they're looking to step out of just tolerating their life, but developing and designing a life of fulfillment, you know, with all the freedoms that we talk about, your time freedom, your financial freedom, your location freedom, your freedom to impact other people, your freedom of choosing relationships. And um, this is about mindset. This is about designing systems. This is about developing a team. It's about stepping up into being a higher capacity leader. So go check out elevatecoachingacademy.com. Uh, we, again, we have a free masterclass there. So check out the masterclass, learn more about what we've got going on over there. And um, it is absolutely amazing. So looking forward to meeting you. And if you have any questions or anything like that, so uh, feel free to shoot us an email, info at elevatepod.com. Happy to uh, discuss that further. With all that said, I would love nothing more than to introduce you to Ivy Zellman, who is the CEO of Zellman and Associates, holding roughly 30 years of experience covering housing and housing-related industries. In 2007, Ivy co-founded Zellman and Associates. The firm provides analysis across all aspects of the housing spectrum. Ivy's concept for the firm remains strongly rooted in the ability to perform the thematic research overlaid with proprietary surveys to produce unparalleled differentiated value-added research. Ivy has been widely known and respected for her bold thinking and accurate assessments where others have failed, helping industry players avoid costly mistakes and capture game-changing opportunities. In 2005, she called the top of the housing market. Ivy famously asked Toll Brothers CEO Bob Toll on the Q4 2006 Toll Brothers conference call, which Kool-Aid are you drinking? And if you remember, 
uh, in 2006, she was probably very, very alone in that conversation. And we know what happened in 2008 and 2009. And she is definitely uh, wise with her words from that perspective. From there, Ivy called the bottom of the housing market in January 2012, thus reinforcing her dominant reputation within the industry. She helped best-selling writer Michael Lewis with research related to the mortgage crash. This became part of his best-selling book that turned movie, The Big Short. Michael wrote in the book that all roads lead to Ivy or led to Ivy. Her convictions have been recognized by institutional investor ranking as one of the most preeminent figures within the housing industry. Most notably, institutional investors, America Research team rankings placed Ivy and her team within the 11 first place rankings, 99 to 2004, 2006 at seven, and 2010 to 2013. Additionally, Hanley Wood, a leading real estate media firm, ranked Ivy as 14 of the top 50 most influential persons in housing. In 2020, Ivy was included in Barron's top 100 women in U.S. finance. As one of the most powerful women on Wall Street, Ivy Zellman is a sought-after expert on the housing sector and what the overall housing market means for investors, home builders, industry executives, and the economy at large. She frequently appears on television shows such as CNBC and major publications, including the Wall Street Journal, and has acted as a key witness in a congressional hearing. And oh, by the way, she is on Elevate now, so get ready for that. Jim Cramer, host of CNBC's show Mad Money, said Ivy is the axe of the home builders, the analyst who understands the group better than anyone else on Wall Street. Ivy's speaking requests for, by conferences, board meetings, podcasts, or special events have included Bloomberg, CNBC, Bloomberg's Master in Business, International Builders Show, MBS Highway, National Association of Home Builders, NFX, National Association of Realtors. Are you getting the picture here is all I can say. National Organization of Investment Professionals, Mortgage Banking Association, Moody's, American Analyst, PropTech CEO Summit, Realty Alliance. She received a Bachelor of Science degree from George Mason University and currently lives in Cleveland, Ohio with her husband, David, and their three children, Zoe, Zachary, and Zia. Ivy is a special advisor to Laurel School, BBYO, NCJW Cleveland, as well as mentors, high school and college students. And all I can say is certainly that um, is an amazing bio and she's more of an amazing person. So I really, really look forward to sharing this conversation and this wide ranging discussion with the great Ivy Zellman. Ivy, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, it's my pleasure. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed our first conversation. Uh, I was, we were talking about it just briefly before the show and it was interesting because uh, you shared with me a lot of your story and a lot of where you've come from. And I've really appreciated getting to know that. And I'm really excited to share that with Elevate Nation today. So I guess let's start there. I mean, tell us a little bit more about who is Ivy Zellman behind the bio, like behind the public image and all the things that you've accomplished. Who are you truly to the core? Um, I first, um, you know, thinking about that, it's always hard to think uh, what would be the true Ivy if there wasn't my professional success behind me? Um, I actually had my dad once ask me, when you look in the mirror, do you see Ivy Zellman, the housing analyst, or do you just see Ivy? And I think that to the core, you know, I grew up in a middle-class um, family and um, really had some dysfunction, frankly, in the family. And um, when I went to college, there was no funds to send me to college. So I, I really think of myself as sort of deep down, very humble, grounded in an everyday person. And um, friendships and family 
are priorities in my life. I have three kids. They challenge me more than any job can at 16, 18, and 20. And um, really learning about um, how to be a good parent and, and focusing on you know, making that a priority. And, and actually, when I um, left my family or we just uh, sort of um, disaggregated, it was when I was 18 and I was on my own uh, to fend for myself. And um, actually, I never wanted my kids to have that. And, and because, because I was on my own at 18 or forced to be on my own at 18, I actually am the person I am today. And I'm very street smart and um, actually grew up in a high school or going to a high school in, in Long Island, New York. And I was a pretty tough kid, um, actually, and actually uh, did some drugs and, you know, was was not a great student, but I was always focused on being financially successful and never wanting to be dependent on a man. Um, and that was something that, you know, my mother, I saw her as really dependent and it was something I never wanted to have. So, you know, I don't know, I, I still have the same girlfriends since I'm 12, 13 years old and you know, they don't think I'm different despite financial success or being, you know, Wall Street analyst. So um, I'm just Ivy to the core. I love that. And um, there's so much there that we could really dive into. Um, but one thing that really stands out, well, a couple of things, you know, I, I think the, the question from your dad is really interesting is, you know, when you look in the mirror, do you see the housing analyst or do you see Ivy? And what's the difference? And, and it just made me reflect back. I was in a meditation course a few years ago, and we were really meditating on our identity and what do we believe ourselves to be. And, you know, when we stripe, we strip away sort of our professional identity and, well, I'm this and I do this and I'm an investor and I build businesses and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a leader and, you know, I'm a husband or I'm a wife and I'm a son, I'm a daughter and all these things. And when you strip that away, it's like, who are we to the core? I think it's just a really, really interesting question that you pose. And perhaps it's more of a rhetorical thing for everybody to consider everybody who's listening. It's like, are you who you say you are on your bio? Are you say, are you who you are, you know, on your website or on LinkedIn or wherever, or, you know, in the publications or who are you beyond that? I think it's really, really interesting. And I think it's probably something that you developed through your street smarts as well as developing those relationships it's trying to get at who are you really and how can I influence you? How can I help you get to where you want to go? And, um, but I, I do want to talk more about those street smarts that you developed as a kid and being tough and maybe some of the challenges, like what, what, what do you mean by street smarts? I guess let's start there and uh, let's dive into that a bit. Well, I think, you know, when you're growing up in a house where there's, um, you know, let's say dysfunction and not a lot of parental oversight with siblings you know, every man for himself, so to speak, and um, just tremendous independence. And whether that was good or bad, you know, it, it allowed for me to, you know, um, try things and go about um, interacting with others, whether it be adults or within the teachers that I interacted with and or friends at school. And, um, you know, I hung out with, um, you know, girls from Long Island, some Italian girls, and, you know, it would have been best with us. And, you know, really um, being very clear that, you know, where I, where I was, the most important thing was this friendship. And that was my family, as opposed to not saying my parents weren't around at all, but really just being um, focused on not allowing anyone to mess with us and being very independent and experimenting with things that weren't always positive, but learning early on after having gone through so much in high school that would arguably could have put me on a very different path, many of which 
wound up not getting off of that direction um, where I realized I needed to focus on school and I had to take care of myself and no one was going to be there for me. And I had to go about whatever I needed to, to be independent and financially successful. So I was incredibly ambitious um, to be really, really rich. That was all I wanted. In fact, my mother always says, you know, when you were like 10 years old, you used to tell me, you know, you wanted to own Mattel. So it, it wasn't just because my parents weren't necessarily around a lot. I think it was just in my DNA that I was a very assertive, very confident, you know, strong personality with, um, you know, maybe a lot of charisma and I could get what I wanted and, and manipulating the people to, to get what I needed. But for the most part, I'd say, you know, I've turned what those characteristics might have been um, initially into, it could have gone bad into very positive, um, disciplined, focused, uh, grounded person that tends to look for a lot of recognition, like people pleasing, um, that maybe I didn't get enough from my folks, frankly, that, you know, recognition. So the job that I'm in gives me a lot of fulfillment in that way. But it also creates a lot of challenges when you're so focused on getting recognition because where you really need to have it is believing in yourself. And so that's something that I, I still work on. Yeah. And it sounds like that's still something that you're growing through. And, and I love just learning about how you put yourself through school as well and being yes. so financially driven. You know, that was one of our first discussions that we talked about was, you know, how you put yourself through school and you were so ambitious. And I just love learning about that drive because, you know, what I've learned is that the two biggest components towards, you know, future success or ongoing, you know, long lasting success is desire and hunger. And it sounds like you have both of those innately within you, which is so beautiful. And it's amazing to talk about that. But talk to me about, you know, the, I guess that journey, right? When you think about financial, you know, drive, right? You were so driven to, you know, be, you know, a high performer. And perhaps there was some significance that you could gain through that process. And maybe that was a part of the, maybe it was a gift, right? In some ways that, that allowed you to succeed. But tell me about, you know, was there a moment that you, if you looked back and you said, look, I could have either gone this direction or this direction. And this moment told, put, took me in the right direction. Was there something that happened to you? I'm just curious. Well, you know, I think when first I was a tomboy, you know, I was totally into sports in um, the middle of three daughters um, and my dad and I played golf. You know, I played, he taught me how to, you know, oil my mitt and tie it up with a rope and play softball and, you know, I was playing basketball. And so it was in middle school, I was very active and athletic. And, you know, when I got into high school, we had lived in London for three years for his um career and that was at an American school and you know we we're good kids doing you know what kids should be doing and then we moved back to New York and his career kind of took a, a bad turn but while that was going on you know I was in a more environment where there was a lot of uh, things around me that can you make make bad choices but I remember meeting a guy that was totally anti-drugs and he was in a rock band and I was totally a groupie like rock you know heavy metal and would go see bands and had fake IDs. And this guy was totally anti-drugs and didn't drink. And I like stopped doing drugs because of this guy and completely uh, was a turning point for me. I wasn't like a total drug addict, but you know, I was dabbling and you know, it was like 16, 17. So that was a big um, incremental uh, part of what drove me to at least stop that aspect of it. But um, even more so, another guy in my life I met was um, actually a recovering drug addict when I was 18. 
and he um, was sober for a year or two and we started living together and I completely gave up drugs and alcohol to really be with him. So I hate to sort of admit it, but it was men that sort of got me uh, at least from going potentially down a, a, you know, what would have been a bad path. But, you know, having a parent who is very successful, maybe better than average middle income, you know, we lived in London, he was probably making a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And back then in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, that was a lot of money. You know, I remember being a little girl and going on the train to go see him in New York City and, in, in, you know, the skyscraper buildings. And, you know, my dad was the boss and it was a, a big in, in financial bank that he worked for. And that I wanted to be like my dad. You know, I was I was totally into being like my father. So I started my college career in accounting because I wanted to do what he did, which was um, take accounting. And as I was working my way through school, going to night school, first I went to Baruch College in New York City. And um, after a year of being with Ian, the, 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 the gentleman I mentioned, I moved to Virginia to live with him and uh, tra uh, transferred to a community college. But as I went to work for later, um, I was working for Arthur Young, which was um, formerly Arthur Young, now Ernst & Young. I was taking accounting classes and all the accountants would be like, oh God, you don't want to be an accountant. That's like <laughs> the worst job. And I'm like, well, I want to make a lot of money. How do I do that? <laughs> and um, you know, again, going back, a lot of it had to do with watching my father lose everything because he wound up losing everything, which why I couldn't go to, he didn't have many money to put me through college. In fact, I remember going to get, um, I was in school and someone said, are you ready for Saturday in high school? And this is when I was like, you know, really just an average student. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you have to come to school for the SAT test and bring your number two pencil. And I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> so I showed up completely blind to taking the SATs. And so my parents were not really pushing me to do college or anything for that matter, because they were very busy dealing with their lives. But when I decided like, oh my God, I need to go to college. It was, it was in that, um, mindset that I was going to do whatever I had to do. So I'd never had to be like my mother and I could be financially successful and realizing wall street was, they're like, well, you have to work on wall street. That's the only place you can go. And so that was what I tried to do. And, and by networking, I started asking people, well, do you know anyone that works on wall street? And I could take a breath and, and we can go from there, but it was chasing financial monetary success and, and fear of winding up um, not having affluence and being, you know, living in a mobile home, you know, or being in an apartment. Like my mom always said, she was afraid that she'd wind up back in a garden apartment living in Queens where she grew up. So that was my motivation, fear. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital. And you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook 
That's called The Bottom Line, The 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value-packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, well, and you know, many people are driven by either moving away from something, whether it's pain, or they're driven by moving towards something, which is pleasure, right? Or, or you know, some form of happiness, which you may have thought in your mind at the time was massive financial success, which I think is is highly, highly interesting. And it's important for all of us to understand our drives and what drives yeah. other people as well. And I think when you really boil it down to pain or pleasure, at some times we're driven by one or the other. And it's really important to, you know, have that ongoing tenacity based on one of those. And that's something that I find really interesting about your story as well as coming up as a woman, you know, you had to be tenacious, right? You had yes. to be ambitious. You had to be persistent. So could you describe a little bit about that as well? And, and also kind of maybe your experience of being an outsider coming into wall street and how that all worked together. Well, really starting with the latter, I'd say that I was very intimidated by um, really the Wall Street crowd. And while initially trying to even get interviews was very challenging. And I worked at a gym folding towels at 6 a.m. Uh, while studying um, to pay for the gym membership. And then I'd work out and actually I'd ask anyone, do you know anyone on Wall Street? And I, I was in Northern Virginia, so there wasn't a lot of people that knew people from Wall Street. But a guy said, I know a guy who works at Merrill Lynch. I could try to introduce you. Or I'd be at Arthur Young and everyone uh, that was at Arthur Young, we audited a lot of accounting firms, or sorry, Wall Street firms like Prudential, well before you were probably born, these these uh, firms' names, um, but Prudential and also uh, Payne Weber and Solomon Brothers. And so I wound up getting two informational interviews, one at Prudential and one at Payne Weber. And I met with the recruiters there and they both said, independent of one another, two women said, you know, you're just not likely to get a job on Wall Street because we really recruit from the Ivies. And despite your, you know, working and putting yourself through school, it's going to be really hard for you to get a job. So I came out very deflated and um, really, you know, thinking it was never going to happen. But I actually powered through that and kept and kept working towards the goal, reading books like at the time, Liar's Poker by Michael Lewis. Um, KKR, I'm trying to remember, um, um, I'll think of the name of the book. There's a ton of books that were really driven to, uh, by, by Barbarians at the Gate by um, about KKR. And there was just this, this hunger and need and reading annual reports about Solomon Brothers. And so the managing partner at Arthur Young, guy by the name of Dave Wilson, talked to someone at Solomon and said, you know, this girl is very ambitious. You should meet her, this young lady. And they gave me an equivalent to an on-campus um, equivalent to an on-campus recruiting interview. And so I went to New York City, got you know a new suit, and um, actually had one of the guys from the gym had me meet with someone from Merrill Lynch. So I had like a two o'clock Solomon Brothers interview and like a 11 o'clock interview with this man who worked in fixed income named CJ DeSantos. And I remember carrying my um, briefcase with my marketing notes. I was studying international marketing over whatever period I was going to New York. And he was like, so tell me, you know, do you have any other interviews on Wall Street? 
I was like, very proudly, yes, actually, I'm interviewing Solomon Brothers later today. And he goes, who's the CEO? And I was like, John Gutfriend. And I said it because I read it through the annual report. He goes, it's John Goodfriend. And he said, that's how you pronounce it. And he went on and he just totally like dumped all this in insight about the differences. Merrill Lynch is the muscle. Um, Solomon Brothers is the brains. You know, he's like, where's your, where's your journal? Was there a tombstone today? And you may be too young to remember when the Wall Street Journal had tombstones, but it would show deal announcements, whether they were debt um, offerings or equity offerings. So I, I, after the interview, I ran and got a journal and sure enough, there was a tombstone. So I then went to my Solomon Brothers interview and that went very well. And at the end of the interview, you know, he was like, well, why do you want to work at Solomon? And I was like, well, Solomon's the brains and, you know, as compared to Merrill Lynch. So I regurgitated a lot what CJ had told me. And I said, oh, by the way, I see that Solomon Brothers did a deal with UPS. Um, congratulations, a senior note offering for 200 million. And the guy goes like this, oh my God, that was my deal. And at that moment, I knew I, I secured the, do, the job offer. And it was a two-year financial analyst program. And there were 70 um, people in the program. There were only three women. And they were predominantly Ivy League graduates from Harvard, from Yale, from Princeton. And, you know, there were some really great colleges like uh, UVA, um, you know, Wharton. But, but I was definitely the minority of no one else was really from a state school. I had graduated from George Mason after going to community colleges. I transferred. It took me six years altogether. But, you know, I just remember being so intimidated by these smart, rich, young adults that were, in my mind, you know, way smarter than I could ever be. And, you know, it's interesting because fast forward, you know, now doing this almost 30 years, probably 15 years ago, I ran into someone that had been in that program with me. And said he said something, this guy, John, is like, we were so intimidated by you. And I'm like, what? How could wow. you be intimidated by me? I'm the one that, you know, came from a state school. He's exactly We're like, how the hell did she get in? She mm. didn't have money. She didn't have connections. She didn't go to one of the great schools that they recruited at. So it was interesting to get that perspective and made me, you know, even more proud of myself for having accomplished what I did. But, you know, it was um, a very, um, um, I think, nerve wracking time in my life because I was, you know, again, feeling um, very uh, much isolated or, you know, as a standout on a, from a negative perspective, but I made it, it made me even more aggressive to raise my hand and answer the questions. Cause we would had we had a, a summer of training and, you know, really, you know, show that I could be as smart as the rest of the, you know, um, people in the program. You know, what it really stands out to me is that your weaknesses can be your strengths, right? If you let them, or if you become consumed with them, they can stay your weaknesses. And I find that to be fascinating because your story, like your perspective was, oh my goodness, the everybody around me has everything that I want. They're looking at you thinking, what does she have that I don't because right. she doesn't have the pedigree that I have and she's here. That is fascinating to me. And I think there, right. there's huge takeaways for, for everybody listening because what is it that you feel like you're lacking? Perhaps that's a strength for you. And every problem is a problem of perspective. What is your perspective on the matter? So I love to hear well, that I you remember, use that to your advantage. Sorry, I remember listening to Tim Ferriss and Dan Harris. I don't know if you are familiar yeah. with Dan, mm -hmm. but you know, there's, um, for me, I'm a worrier and, mm. and having insecurities and worrying, there's a fine line where it can actually 
translate into um, at, at the right balance, a very successful outcome of whatever you worry or you're insecure about, but you can cross the line and it gets too much. So it becomes, you know, detrimental to you. So my worrying and insecurities were actually drivers of my success. And, you know, my husband at times where I've been recognized as the number one ranked analyst, you know, for 11 years consecutively or ranked in the hall of fame for the best institutional analyst, you know, I still hunger a pat on the back. And he's like, mm -hmm. what do you need to feel good about yourself? You know, he would give me a hard time because I, I never get enough to really have that sense of security, which I don't know if it's a bad thing because it's the kite never flies high enough. And it actually drove me to start my own firm. Because I was, you know, someone once explained that complacency is like the next thing to death. Mm -hmm. And, you know, recognizing, you know, turning 40, that was when I decided it was time to take an entrepreneurial plunge and start Zellman and Associates. But I think it's about fear and insecurities and worrying that has driven me my whole life. And I remember playing tennis obsessively. And the tennis instructor, as we chatted, he's like, it's been good for you, though, right? Hasn't it been good for you? And I said, no, you're right. You're right. It, it has been good for me. So I think there's a balance, though, for, for your own sanity that you have to be careful, like Dan Harris says, to not, not you know, go over that line. I'm a huge proponent of this type of the conversation because I think it's highly important. We all worry to a certain degree, right? And the question is, is there any practicality behind my worry? Or is this worry just a fear of me stepping into my zone of genius? If anybody listening has read the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, I highly recommend it because he talks about this exact thing. It's about the worry. Is it the question is, are we stepping into our zone of weakness, our zone of genius? And our internal identity is pulling us back down to our zone of excellence or zone of mediocrity, you know, or is it giving us practicality to say, well, guess what, this is driving me to do what's necessary to go to that next level. So I think asking that question, and there is a certain level of, you know, health in worry and the same, same with stress, right? There's some good with stress when it comes to biology, when it comes to your right. business and all these things, like if you're, if there's no stress, like you're going to have atrophy, right? You're going to have, you know, muscles that have no density and all these things. And it's the same with business, but does that resonate with you, Ivy? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think it's super powerful and we should all be thinking about like quality of life, but we should also be thinking about where are we going? Who are we serving? You know, right. are we, are we sabotaging ourselves? Or are we stepping into the next version of ourselves? And I think that's amazing. So thank you. Thank you for all of that. Go well, ahead. you know, and I, I also think by being someone who's insecure and recognizing that it is for whatever reason, people please, or however you want to describe it, I'm very inquisitive and I'm very thoughtful about the person I'm chatting with. So if Tyler, we weren't doing a podcast that you were my, I'm your guest, I would be asking you a lot of questions like, mm. you know, tell me about, you know, where you grew up, tell me about your family and, and really wanting to learn about that person's life. And, and by being inquisitive, I'll note right away, if I'm with somebody and they don't ask me any questions, they're just dumping their life on me and don't have a back and forth. I think it's so important to be inquisitive. So in business, for example, one of the things that has really allowed for me to be as successful as I am is by my, the fact that I am inquisitive because I don't go straight to business. You know, I meet people and I talk to them about themselves and I, and I learn about who they are as a person and about their family. And I make sure that, that we have established that we are on the same playing field and then I can go to business. 
And that's some of the techniques I've, I've taught the people that have worked for me over my, you know, three decades of my career, but it was sort of having to do so like early on when I started out as a housing analyst after a year of studying housing, which I was given by Solomon Brothers as, and I did go through the MBA training program. I got fortunate that the director of research said, you know, she's going to cover the housing space. We should put her through the MBA program. So I went through two training programs. Um, but, but what I learned as soon as I speak at, came an analyst, when you speak to institutional investors, what's missing out there that people that, that compete with me on the sell side aren't writing about? What do you think I could do to be um, more value add to clients in terms of you know, the type of uh, analysis that's not either out there or how can I do a better job? So I was always asking enough, even when I spoke to a client, by asking that they wanted to hear from me because I cared about what they had to say. I didn't just call up and have a script. Hi, this is Ivy Zellman. I'm calling to tell you about my, you know, three stocks I cover on home builders. And that's what a lot of analysts would do. So by being inquisitive shows you care about the person you're conversing with. And I think that's really a uh, technique, a benefit to who I am as a person that's allowed me to establish a network of executives and relationships that surpass over a thousand people that we're interacting with at Zellman and Associates today because of that technique. Yeah, and also I would imagine it's improved the quality of your life in a drastic way as well, right? Knowing about other people, learning from other people, it's amazing the level of wisdom that you can gain just by asking those type of questions. And that's why I love having these conversations like we are having right now is we can distill insights and also distill the beauty and the individuality of humanity. And I, I, I think there's also a level of humility that you have to show while you're being you're so ambitious, and you, you've developed such a successful career, you still have a level of humility to say, Hey, you know what, for me to step in and just, you know, give you my pitch is not not only is it not effective, but I'm not going to learn anything either. And I'm probably not right. going to be, at, you know, effective in making something happen with you. So I love that you're humble, you work with integrity, and you also work hard. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of integrity and just, you know, dedication to your craft as well? Well, I think integrity, if I had to say there's two attributes of who, what I'm looking for in a potential candidate that we're going to hire, it would be humility and integrity. And I think that, you know, your reputation on Wall Street is really all about integrity. And it doesn't mean just Wall Street, just in life, that people can trust you and loyalty. And for me, that's really um, many of the characteristics that, you know, I want to have with my, you know, my own characteristics, but I look for in others. So as I talked about, not only asking questions, but being open and honest about who I am and not trying to fit in a mold or try to um, accommodate what, what people want me to be. So I, I, the joke is, or saying goes, I am what I am like Popeye the Sailor Man. So I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I am Ivy and I will not try to be anyone else. So when I see candidates or meet people in business that are more, um, um, let's just say stoic, or not willing to open up, um, it's usually very difficult for me to crack them, but I'll try and try. But it's harder to bond with someone if they're not willing to really be who they are uh, to their core. And, you know, it's really interesting because I think being a leader and growing a company requires you to continue to, you know, evolve as an individual and, you know, ask these type of questions and be self-aware, which I've really appreciated about our discussion is how aware you are of yourself, you know, some of the things that you may have as a need within yourself, 
for significance, but also understanding other people, what drives them, listening and truly caring about them. But if if you were to look back, I mean, when you began, you know, Zellman and Associates, and you started building this company, what would you tell your younger self about leadership, about building an organization, about success within, you know, that sphere of your life? You know, I think it's really about um, the art of delegation and trusting the people that work with you and giving them the freedom and autonomy to really develop um, in their own journey, their career path. Because if you don't have people that are um, supporting you, that know they have the ability to grow with you, alongside of you, not underneath you, then I think it's difficult to be successful in life. So you really have to surround yourself with people that know that they're on the same level as you, despite your title, and that you have the ability to grow together. And I think that's the way we started Zellman. And the people that came to work for us were really thrown in the deep end um, without, without a raft, so to speak, and really um, given as many opportunities as they wanted to achieve. And they knew that working with me, it was also personal that it was more about being, um, you know, uh, really colleagues and working together to be successful and, and achieve things, but also that there was a, a person here that was either dating someone or married or having, you know, have, has had a family that they've started and caring about them and showing more nurturing. I'm a nurturer, you know, um, sometimes too much to my three children, but I do think that there is a personal aspect that you know, what really helped develop a team of people that are extremely loyal and are really ambitious and in their own careers, but that they are looking to achieve the best that they can in whatever work they're doing, because they want to together be successful with, with their colleagues and, and for the firm and believing in what we're doing. And what you're describing is really creating that culture, right? The culture of loyalty, the culture of, hey, I can trust you. You're going to do what we expect you to do, but also we're going to care for you, right? We're, we're not just going, we're not going to just treat you as a number. So is there anything that, you know, any pitfalls along the way that you would look back and say, you know, I really learned a lot from that one in terms of this development, or is there anything that you'd point to that, that maybe has really struck you or, and stuck with you over the years? From a negative perspective? Yeah. From any challenges or mistakes or failures? I think the biggest mistake or failure was uh, my reaction to getting fired at Solomon when I um, had been there for eight years and Solomon was acquired by Smith Barney and they therefore had analysts that overlapped with Solomon's analysts and the analyst at Smith Barney uh, was ranked one above me and so I got let go. And I was devastated. I, it was a failure. And, you know, my life was over as I knew it. And I think that was really devastating. And, and I remember my husband saying to me, we were dating at the time. He's like, don't be ridiculous. There's going to be a tons of firms that are going to be looking to hire you. And so just not believing in myself that I actually had eight years of success working at Solomon Brothers, but I still had so much insecurity that I didn't believe that I'd get another job. And of course I got another job. I had several different companies calling um, to interview me. So, you know, that was really my first job. And one of the things I always say to people is that your first job won't be your last job. And one of the um, books that's really, I'd highly recommend is a book called The Corner Office that is really a journalist from the New York Times that every um, Saturday, uh, was it Saturday or Sunday, would write a column with interviewing CEOs, 
um, whether small business or large corporations, and they'd ask the same questions. And always at the end, what advice would you give a college student? And I remember reading, you know, your first job won't be your last. And I think that was one thing that really um, I had difficulty getting over. I also was totally devastated by initially starting out, I didn't mention this, in investment banking. And I worked in investment banking and corporate finance for two years. And when I was at George Mason, I got my picture in the school newspaper because I got a job on Wall Street. I wanted to be an investment banker. That was my dream. And my dream came true. But after working in investment banking for a few months, I hated it. And, and realizing that this dream of mine was today um, no longer a reality was really hard to figure out, well, what am I going to do now? So I think that there's, at least from my you know, history of, of being a professional um, person in, in, in the Wall Street setting, those things stand out. Um, you know, other mistakes in terms of how um, maybe we started off uh, with some employees and maybe even giving them too much autonomy and then seeing that they didn't have what it took to be successful. Um, but I'll stop there. So I don't know if I'm off track or not getting to the answer that you were looking no, for. No, that's great. I think it's whatever comes to that beautiful mind is uh, is always great for me. But uh, I think it's interesting. I think there's a lot to learn from everything that you just described there. But the, the last of which I think is really interesting, giving people too much autonomy. It's like it's almost like the paradox, right? We were talking about the paradox of worry earlier, right? You know, it's like you can cross that line. And you before you were talking about, hey, when we build a, our organization, it's like we bring in people that are ambitious, that we can trust, that are loyal, that we care about. And I'm sure there's a level of, hey, we trust you to do the right thing with your expertise, take the ball and right. run with it. But at some point, if you're giving someone too much autonomy that doesn't have what it takes or isn't trainable or isn't coachable, is that what you're describing? Yeah, and I think it's like some of employees that we hired that one, for example, a salesperson that lived in Atlanta that had worked at the bulge of one of the bulge bracket firms and felt, you know, he could be in Atlanta despite everyone else either being in Cleveland or New York. We did have a Boston salesperson too. And he didn't really do what he was supposed to do. He was playing golf a lot and, you know, he didn't generate the business that he said he could generate. So that we just assumed that, you know, he was going to do what he said he was going to do. So that didn't work out. Um, we've had analysts um, that have come in and um, really either couldn't handle the, the hours, even though they said that they could. And it's a pretty intense work environment and you really have to be a self-starter. And so, you know, interviewing them, whether we didn't do enough due diligence or they weren't completely honest, you know, really backfired in terms of their performance didn't meet our expectations. So, you know, we get it wrong sometimes. There are people that just don't fit the culture or don't have what, it's what, what it takes. But, you know, one of the things that we have done, and I'm very proud of our tenure, you know, my business partner, Dennis McGill, who's been with me um, since he was a summer intern at Michigan, um, and that's now over 20 years ago. Um, he's the most senior and he's my partner, but you know, several of our analysts, one's been with me 16 years, another analyst has been with me, but pretty much everyone's homegrown. They come from undergrad, um, either as summer interns and then they're full-time, but or they've worked a few years and then they come work for Zellman. And so they're trainable and they wanna be developed and they wanna learn. And we typically don't hire someone that's covered housing at, an, at another firm in any capacity. Um, but I do think that, you know, if they are in a position that they're no longer, let's say, satisfied and they want to make a change, 
the environment is such where they, they'll come to me, like most recently, one of my analysts, uh, Thomas McGuire, who had been with us for five years in a associate role, he came to me and said, you know, I, I want to try something different and felt comfortable enough that he can talk with me and I'm helping him try to find another job because, you know, I respect him for being honest with me up front. And that's one example. Another employee said after 10 years of doing what was kind of a um, conference planner and um, marketing events, was unhappy in her role and wanted more. And so we have shuffled things and now she's in charge of digital marketing. But people have to feel comfortable that that not just quit and leave, that they are, you know, not satisfied and that the relationship is such that they could, you know, know that they can speak with me about it and there's not going to be a backlash. And that that's really what I strive for because you're in a people business. It's a service industry and your talent, your assets are your people. So you have to nurture and develop relationships that will be for the long term. It, it's otherwise it's destructive to your business. No, this is great. And and I know that all the entrepreneurs, all the leaders listening are, are really shaking their heads because they've had these problems, right? They run into these problems continuously. You hire the wrong person. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, where am I going to focus? Am I going to focus on the problem or going to focus on the solution? And, um, you know, sometimes we have to kiss frogs, right? We kiss frogs and then we find the next one and maybe we find a prince or a princess and we go from there. But, you know, I go back to the philosophy of life happens for you, not to you, what Tony Robbins talks about. And so what gift is a part of this problem? You know, what are we getting as an organization, myself as a leader, myself as an individual, finding those self-starters, those people who can really push the ball forward, but then leaving that open space for them to come to you and say, look, you know, I'm really not being, I'm not fulfilled right now. What can we right. do to make this work? Because if your people aren't fulfilled, they're not going to bring their zone of genius. There's no doubt about that. So Absolutely. I think that's, that's amazing. So Ivy, I want to switch gears just a bit. And I want to sure. talk about your expertise now. Let's, let's okay. dive even further into the beautiful depths of that mind. So, you know, we are in a weird economic, you know, set of circumstances. It is uh, maybe something that you've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen it. I don't know if anybody's ever seen the set of circumstances that we're dealing with on a macro level and in many different micro levels across the United States, across the world. Um, but, you know, in terms of real estate, in terms of housing markets, I mean, how are you making sense of the housing market? How are you making sense? Of, because, you know, I'm, I'm a multifamily real estate investor and, you know, you look across the marketplace and we have a higher degree of risk, but we have a lower degree of yield, right? Which is really, really interesting. Compressed cap rates, but, um, you know, higher degree of risk in many different capacities. So how are you making sense of it? I mean, how are you putting all the pieces together? Well, I think right now the demographics are very favorable for really the single family asset class. And that being that millennials are now aging to the point where they're cohabitating, getting married and starting families and need more space. And prior to COVID, we started seeing the urban core, seeing a deceleration in the number of um, households being formed as more of the millennials were starting to move out to the suburbs. So that was underway before the pandemic. But now that the pandemic has come to fruition, we have a lot of people that may have made the decision to go to the suburbs sooner than they might have otherwise, because they might not have started their family, but they wanted to have more space. And it's look people that are looking for quality of, of space, um, whether it's indoor and outdoor, but they're also looking to the benefit of now having um, remote work as a possibility. So they'll be willingly 
able to go further out and they might have flexibility to go to the office, let's say in New York City, once or twice a week. So I can go live in Hudson or I can go further out in New Jersey somewhere. So you're seeing people um, take advantage of, you know, what has been, you know, fear initially to just get out of Dodge and find, you know, more space and, and, and less density to now people realizing that the quality of life can be better for me, whether I want to stay in my current state or I want to go to a, a new location altogether. We call it the Great American Shuffle has been underway. If you go from 2010 to 2020 and just look at the states that have had the strongest household growth, whether we're talking about states like Utah or Idaho or Nevada that are growing at 20% um, throughout that decade, that period, to the US on average growing at 9%, to then you have states like New York, California, Illinois growing at 3%. We already have had a great American shuffle going on. Now that great American shuffle is accelerating because people can cross state lines and still keep the same employer and be have, and have the flexibility to work remote. So the housing market is benefiting in single family from all of the things I just discussed, but predominantly driven because mortgage rates are at all time record lows. So if we didn't have rates as low as they are today, which are now actually moving upward because of the risk of inflation from stimulus that you know the democratic sweep will result in, I think that we wouldn't have the type of remarkable recovery we've had since the pandemic you know, after the initial shutdown. The multifamily market where you're an investor, it really depends on where you are. Now cap rates have compressed, but they haven't compressed as much as the overall rates have fallen. So values have actually done better than you would expect, given that lease rates are under pressure, occupancies are under pressure. It's a much, much more challenging environment. That was already actually starting prior to the pandemic, just because of the demographic shift that was occurring from at least on the urban core. And if you look at the urban core back in you know, the great financial um, recession, when you had multifamily was, you know, the prettiest girl at the dance and there was this wall of capital just looking to invest as much as capital as they could predominantly in the urban core because no one was going to buy homes anymore. There was this perception that everyone was just going to walk to work and they wanted to be in the city where they can, they were young millennials that were accelerating starting really in 2001 all the way through 2014 millennials the absolute number of 20 to 34 year olds was accelerating year over year so there was a ton of demographic tailwind and there was a ton of of, of capital chasing this opportunity so now when you look at the amount of inventory and backlog for multifamily that's in process of being completed it's at a multi-decade high predominantly in the urban core, class A. And that's putting tremendous pressure on lease rates. New York, San Francisco, Chicago are seeing in some cases double digit decline in overall rent rates for class A. So if you're in suburbia, the multifamily asset class, if it's class B, if it's workforce housing is outperforming by a large margin that class A suburban. So it really is dependent in the multifamily category of what what location and then also what class the asset class or what asset class it's in. Okay, Ivy, you're giving me the classic it depends answer. Yeah, right. uh, I appreciate that. No, but that that is really, really sound insight. And, and thank you for all that, because I think it's 
it's not a simple answer, right? You know, it does depend on the submarket. It depends on the driving forces. It depends on, you know, the microeconomic uh, circumstances of the submarket and so on and so forth. So I think it is really, really interesting. But where do you see this going? I mean, over the next five, 10 years, I mean, do you anticipate any massive accelerations or shifts in any different direction? Or do you think it will just continue to accelerate the patterns that you just described? I think you'll see in some cases the patterns I just described continue to accelerate because if you just look at the demographics, the number of 20 to 34 year olds from 2025 to 2030 will actually go negative. So we're gonna see a decline in that demographic. So that's gonna put more pressure or a headwind to the multifamily market, just in absolute terms. But I also think that the single family market, while right now seeing tremendous uh, demand and inventories in the United States are at an all time record low, we estimate that in 2020, home prices nationally will have increased to 9.7%. And in 2021, we're currently estimating a 6% increase. So as we continue to see home price inflation, that's very robust because inventories are so tight, I think the housing market will continue to see the trends I'm describing. However, the contingency on that is that rates have to stay low. Because when we look at not, not so much affordability, believe it or not, even if we saw mortgage rates that are currently at 2.8% go to as little as three and a half or 4%, the housing market on the move up market, we think would be arrested very quickly. And why is that? It's because the number of homeowners that have a mortgage rate at or below 4% in the United States is roughly 50%. So 50% of people are locked in, a lot of them at as low as 3% or lower, and they're not going anywhere if they can't transfer that mortgage rate and it's a discretionary decision, especially if they're gonna have to pay more for the next house. So we call it the three Ds in real estate where the transactions have to happen if you're in a recession, it's death, divorce, and default. And the fourth D is when you have discretion and the discretionary buyer is about two thirds of the market. So I'm concerned that you know, clearly there will be people that will take a higher rate if they're locked in at a lower rate, we will have some, but the market is on steroids right now as people are capitalizing on that low rate. And in fact, prior to the pandemic, the move up market was lackluster and the luxury market was um, even under pressure in certain parts of the country. And the second home market was pretty lackluster. Second homes are surging right now. Demand for second homes, I've never seen this strong, frankly, in 30 years. And that has been really a function of, we believe, a combination of rates first, because it's free money, and then the, I need to get somewhere safe for my family, and I'm gonna go buy a house in Florida or, in some resort area. And we're seeing tremendous year over year growth in the hundreds of percent in markets that are in that um, part of the country. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a brief time out from this show, this incredibly mind expanding discussion to speak to the high achievers, the high performers. I wanted to speak to those who have a burning desire to go to the next level and beyond. First of all, I hear you and I see you. When I got started as a real estate entrepreneur, fresh out of my W2 corporate job, I was excited and jubilant to create and design my future. At the same time, my business and life was filled with confusion, filled with fear, doubt, uncertainty, and to be honest with you, sometimes even sleepless nights and hopelessness, even while experiencing what many would have considered substantial success. 
Ultimately, I muster up the courage to hire one of the world's top high-performance business coaches to work directly with me on creating strategies, systems, and profound shifts towards accelerating my multifaceted performance and to become an industry leader. After years of investing significant resources into myself and in my business through this process, I am now paying it forward as a high-performance coach to those who feel called to elevate to the extraordinary. Wherever you are right now, you know deep down that you have it within you to be great. If you're someone who's seriously looking to elevate your business, your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your deal flow, your network, your net worth, your lifestyle, and ultimately your life right now and ongoing for the rest of your life, I have a message for you. Because if that's you, then I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. I have limited coaching spots available to guide people like you who want to substantially close the gap from where you are to where you want to be. These are first come, first serve, and demand high-touch, one-to-one focus from me directly to you. And this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are decisive, committed, and willing to do whatever it takes. It's only for those willing to play full out and invest time, energy, and resources into themselves to achieve greatness in real estate investing and beyond, which is what we're all about on this podcast. This is for those defiantly inspired for transforming as an empowered limitless and unstoppable human being in full control of their and their business's future. If that is you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com where you can apply for this life-changing opportunity. We will then schedule a discovery session where we will directly discuss what's working, not working, and how we can work together to accelerate your future. With that said, enjoy the rest of the show. It is so fascinating. And you're talking about debt, right? You know, it it seems like if interest rates do rise in any substantial capacity, then, you know, we're going to see some massive shakeup. But it almost seems as well as that you can't have that because it's almost the economies on steroids due to the debt market, as you just described. I mean, can you imagine a circumstance over the next five to 10 years where we do see a substantial change in interest rates? Well, the variability in long rates or long-term um, treasuries has been an average between 50 to 80 basis points every year. So I think that there's always going to be volatility. I can't make the case and nor do I have the expertise to think that long-term rates are going to go up substantially. But when we look at the amount of inflation in the market right now in certain parts of various sectors like housing, there's significant inflation and not only home prices, but also in the building products area and land inflation. And certainly there are other categories in the economy that are seeing significant inflation. The likelihood is rates are not going to stay at record lows. So we have to think about what happens to housing. Now, the flip side to the demographics of the 20 to 34 year olds are actually going to decline in that uh, 20, 2025 to 2030 timeframe. The number of 35 to 44 year olds is going to accelerate substantially and already has been since 2017. So that tailwind could override some of the um, maybe um, negative impact from higher rates just because the sheer demand of families that need more space and might be leaving apartments or um, let's say a townhome where they need a larger amount of, of shelter. That is really that lifestyle decision could create more demand, even in a slightly higher rate environment. But I think pricing will be the lever, right? So the pricing will have to likely be uh, accommodating what would be more expensive um, housing 
or lack of, of as attractive affordability. But I think that volumes will continue to rise. We have a shortage of housing in the United States, especially affordable housing. And the builders in the United States finally got the memo. The public home builders account for 40% of new home construction, new home sales. Um, and in fact, in my, the private builders that we survey account for another call 15 to 20%. It wasn't really until 2015 that they had enough confidence, even though the cycle, the economy bottomed in the first year of growth was 09, they didn't really start building in what we call the exurb, which is like the third ring of the market in earnest till really between 2015 and 2017. So now they're building much smaller homes further out to provide more affordable housing, but it's not fast enough and it will have to be even more affordable if rates go higher. It's really, really interesting. And you think about, you've, you've mentioned inflation uh, countless times really throughout this part of the conversation. And obviously you would have to anticipate that we will be experiencing inflation. You think about all the stimulus, you think about all the injections within the economy, which perhaps there's an argument that has been needed to a large degree, you know, due to the COVID crisis and all the things that we've experienced uh, otherwise, but you know, we're not here to debate policy, right? We're here to look at the facts. And right. you know, one of the things that we love as real estate investors is inflation protection. And you look across the landscape and you say, okay, well, if we're going to experience inflation, how can we protect ourselves? But how can we also thrive in this environment as investors? I mean, what do you, when you look across the landscape, you know, what are some of the greatest overlooked opportunities in housing? And you mentioned affordable housing, which perhaps is one. Is there anything else that you point to? Um, you know, today the, the wall of capital has shifted from multifamily, you know, class A urban to really single family rental and, and build for rent. And what we're seeing is a tremendous amount of new communities that are being developed that are either totally dedicated to a build for rent product. And I think there's still opportunities in that marketplace. It's not, um, you know, a brand new undiscovered niche, but today it accounts for, you know, less than 5% of total shelter. And I think millennials especially want brand new homes that are tech enabled, Wi-Fi certified, have open floor plans. Those are aspects that a lot of um, today's buyers, prospective buyers can't find in existing homes. So if they are looking at a rental that has that, I think there'll be more demand, especially again, as the demographics, it, you can't delineate when you look at the number of people that are starting families and have the need for space, whether they own or rent. But we know that third, if you're between the ages of 30 and 39 and have two children, that roughly 82% live in a single family home. And that doesn't delineate how many are renting versus owning. So I think build for rent could be a very good investment opportunity. And it's in a very select few markets today. Uh, so for example, you know, you really see any build for rent in the Midwest. It's predominantly in the Southeast and in Texas markets and a little bit in Phoenix. Um, so there are markets where that it, it is an undiscovered uh, opportunity today. Um, and I do think the single family asset class will continue to benefit from the things we've already discussed. Yeah, thank you. There's a lot thank of you. innovation as well, mm -hmm. sorry, in, in how um, today investors are uh, trying to capitalize on some of the challenges. One of the challenges in the United States is our stock is um, aging quite a bit. We have a 45-year-old stock in the Midwest and the Northeast. It's much older than that. So there's really a lot of investors that are capitalizing on a fix and flip 
type investment strategy or you know open door and what are i buyers today are creating liquidity in the housing market so there's there's sort of you know ancillary opportunities to play off of what's happening to create a better experience for the consumer and you're seeing a lot of um, new ways to improve the experience, whether it's, you know, moving companies that can, you know, do things from, you know, start to finish completely for the consumer where they don't have to do anything in a turnkey fashion, or if it's, you know, getting a mortgage and getting a title through complete um, electronic off your app on your phone, there's different types of investments that could play off some of the changes that we're seeing in the innovation in the housing mosaic overall. Yeah, and it's a great example of how challenges create opportunity, right? It requires us to be innovative to create something that the marketplace wants and needs. And uh, I think there's a lot of value in that. If we could crack the code on the build to rent single family uh, management process, then I think many more people would be pouring into that space. And perhaps there is an innovative way to uh, to approach that. So Ivy, thank you for that. I, I really appreciate your expertise. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. And I want to, you know, really transition into our rapid fire section, we actually call it the rare air questionnaire. It's about being uncommon. It's about everything that we've discussed today. It's about really going against the grain and being willing to question your worry. It's about, you know, questioning, hey, how humble am I? How much integrity do I have? How hard am I willing to work? Everything that we've talked about today. So I'd love to talk to you about a few things just really quickly. Um, If you could tell me two or three of the most impactful books that you've ever read. I know we've already talked about a few, but are there any books otherwise that you point to that have really been impactful for you? Um, Actually, a book um, uh, called Thrive by Arianna Huffington. I read it when I had mono in 2017, and it was life-changing for me because it really gave me a lot of tools to, um, let's say, get out of my funk. And while it was, you know, medically part of um, my illness, it was it was definitely an uplifting book that I think any anyone should read to really help their life and think about focusing on themselves and importance of taking care of themselves. I also, as a aging woman, um, which, you know, is always challenging for everyone, but um, I read a book by um, Anna Quindlen called Plenty of Cake, Plenty of Candles. And it really was uplifting about aging. And I think that everyone should read that one as well. If you've ever felt down or, you know, you look at wrinkles on your face and all the things that come with aging and all the aches and pains. Um, I'm also a um, very strong proponent against social media. Um, I have three children, two teenage daughters, and I read great books that I would highly recommend for parents. I know it's not business, but um, very impactful for me and my parenting, which is a priority in my life. One called Girls on the Edge by Leonard Sachs. And another one called American Girls, The the Secret Life of Social Media and Teenage Girls by Nancy Jo Sales. So very significant um, turning points for me and my parenting, dealing with um, what hopefully um, all of us, or not hopefully everyone is dealing with, with the challenges we have with, with kids, with their phones and the obsessions that they have. No, that's beautiful. And thank you for sharing all that, because I think it's really well-rounded and it's important for us to be thinking about the different areas of our life, whether we're parents or, you know, whether we're, we're aging, we're all aging, right. To a certain right. degree. And so it's interesting to, to go through that journey and right and find the blessings within that journey. Um, but I, I watched a documentary recently on social media and I forget what it's called, but it a was social dilemma, social, social dilemma. dilemma. Oh my yeah. goodness. It blew yeah. my mind. 
Yeah, it was and, kind of like preaching to the choir for me, but I, I learned a lot. I'd highly recommend that for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's important for us to all have awareness, right? Let's not be the default mechanisms of our environment. If we're aware and we're conscious, then we can make decisions. And Better this decision. is what we're talking about. So that's that's amazing. So aside from our discussion today, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Ivy? Um, to focus on myself, I multitask. I go for walks rather than sitting at my desk and talk to clients and or industry executives while walking my Australian Shepherd and trying to remember to breathe. Um, I do Bikram yoga. I do Pilates. I just focus on trying to get exercise in my life and, and nutrition. I, um, as a, a, again, thinking about um, health as you get older. You start thinking about um, what can I do to improve the quality of my life. And for me, it's um, really eating right. And I gave up red meat and chicken. And so I eat fish and, and vegetables and really a pescatarian uh, a diet. But also trying to connect with people. You know, as I mentioned, my friendships with a handful of women that actually know each other from me, but all from different parts of, you know, uh, or times and places in my life that I've met. But really connecting and 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 nurturing those friendships and making sure that you know i'm in touch with them on a regular basis so it probably doesn't go a day that i'm not on the phone with at least one friend and maybe more just to catch up and sometimes it's just you know talking about the weather or the kids or bitching about your husband <laughs> whatever it may be you know the flavor of the day but it's important to you know have balance and that's how i lift enlighten myself on a daily basis yeah, and there's, there's a lot of great suggestions there. So I would definitely <laughs> highly recommend the listener to replay that entire section right there. So thank you for all of that. And, and one, you know, a couple of things. So you got the Australian Shepherd and yep. uh, what's your dog's name? Give us the dog's Zilly. name. Zilly. So I've got all three kids are Z's, Zoe, Zach, and Zia, and the dog is Zilly. So That's awesome. they're, all, they're all double Z's. Well, we love our dogs and I've got a German Shepherd, Bruno. Uh -huh. So we'll give a shout out to Bruno and it's always great to go Bruno, on those walks. and. Name remind yourself to breathe too right and that's a big one uh that's a big one that i've had to remind myself and be present right because we're always well, I living in to mention uh i i wake up with sam harris uh, ah, so meditate. there we go so we got a meditator and so you're watching your breath you're learning about the new the thing presence. the new yeah, things so i'm trying it Oh, that's great. I think it's important because, you know, you like me, we live in the future a lot, right? Where, where are we going? You know, all the questions I asked you, where, where are we going in the next five to 10 years? How can we make decisions? How can we capitalize? But at the same time, let's have a quality of life. Like let's enjoy the present. And uh, I think there's just so much, uh, so much beauty and so much wisdom in that. So thank you for all of that. But how, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Ivy? Um, I think just trying to be more of a cheerleader and present opportunities that could help them improve their situation, being a good um, listener. You know, God gave us two ears and only one mouth for a reason. So it's being a good shoulder to cry on. It's making sure that you give people you love a hug and you take a moment to stop what you're doing and get off your devices and just spend quality time. You know, when my kids were uh, high school age and younger, I would always go up in their individual rooms from the early years when they're toddlers till growing up and just take 10 or so 15 minutes with each of them and really listen to them and dig in to hear what's going on in their lives. And I don't know that people do that enough of that. And so I do that with my friends and with my family to try to help them deal with whatever issues they're dealing with. And it's, it's an investment in time.
and it, it pays dividends. And I really um, believe that I'm a better person because I give a lot of myself to the important people in my life. What a great reminder for me, for everybody listening to listen, right? To listen and truly care and uh, actively listen and take a participation in someone else's life. So my goodness, Ivy, I could not have asked for a more enjoyable conversation, a more insightful yeah. conversation. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd share with Elevate Nation today? Um, I would just say that focus on yourself and, you know, don't let things get you down and recognize that, you know, it, these things will pass, things will get better. And it's easy to fall into, you know, sort of the depression and, and recognize the world is really challenged, but, you know, go out for walks more often and just remember to give your loved ones hugs and it matters a lot and laugh a lot. Laughter is a wonderful what uh, wonderful remedy for anything that ails you. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And uh, this too shall pass. Impermanence is a great thing to remind ourselves. It reminds me of, you know, what Marcus Aurelius talked about 2000 years ago. You know, he was talking about this too. I mean, the extreme challenges that he faced then, you know, are similar to what we face today. And of course, history rhymes, right? It repeats itself and it also rhymes. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank you so much for that, Ivy. Tell the listeners how they can learn more about Zellman Associates, about you, what you do, and how they can engage with you further. Sure. So Zellman Associates is an independent research boutique focused exclusively on housing. And our website is zellmanassociates.com. And you can email Kim at zellmanassociates.com. We have research available a la carte or to buy annual subscriptions or quarterly subscriptions. And um, we do have full service available if anyone would like to reach out directly to us. Again, contact Kim at zellmanassociates.com. But I appreciate uh, the opportunity. It's a very unique podcast for me. So I am not typically digging into my personal life like this. So it was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me and uh, getting real. Hey, absolutely. And uh, maybe I took a book, a page out of your book to really listen to you about your story. And then we can get to the expertise. So uh, I think there's a lot there. But yeah, thank you so much for those kind words. But we'll put links in the show notes of how you can learn more about Zellman Associates. And of course, that email address that you just shared and also how you can follow Ivy on Twitter, which I highly recommend Ivy underscore Zellman uh, at Ivy underscore Zellman. So go check her out on Twitter. And uh, we love hearing about that. But even even if we don't love social media in some ways, we do love to be connected to you. Uh, so Ivy, I just really, really thank you, but elevate nation. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because there's so many gold nuggets of wisdom that if you re-listen, you may notice something that you didn't hear before. Repetition is the mother of all skill. And at the end of the day, when you learn something, apply it, right? You know, learn that distinction, write it down, put it in front of you and apply that and see if it works for you, but also share that with someone else because the teacher sometimes is who learns the most. When you teach someone else, it's not only a beautiful thing to share that with them, but it's it's an amazing process what can happen within your own life, within your own business, when you are a sharer. So be sure to share this episode. And uh, until next time, we certainly encourage you to take massive action. And Ivy, thank you again for being on the show. Thanks for having me, it was awesome. No, my pleasure. Elevate Nation, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.